Mbap, doobidop, doobop, doobidop, mbop, doobidop, boom. What was that last one? Was that a, a boom or a bop? That's a good question. I kind of felt it in my bones. Yeah. It, you know, I kind of transcended for a moment. So right. I, I may have riffed a little on um, that. I just invented that. So Really? That was astounding. It are just you, felt right. Are you a white man with long blonde hair singing with his brothers? I, uh, it's like the oldest of seven children, maybe. Oh my God. It's gorgeous. <laughs> Insert theme song here. In case you didn't know, that was me quoting Mbop poorly, which won a Grammy in 1997. <gasps> well, did it win or was it nominated? I'm pretty sure it won. I know Kelsey Grammer presented it because they That's covered right. it on uh, Punch mm-bop. Up the Jam. Mbop. Mbop. <laughs> Sorry, that'll peak for sure. <laughs> but it was Mbop. <laughs> but anyway, we're already riffing okay. too much. There we go. Hey, welcome to A Warp to Remember. My name is Zoe and I'm joined by... Rachel... And we put together this podcast to look back at the best touring music show ever, Warp Tour. The Vans Warp Tour. Yes. And uh, so we look back at the the songs, the bands, the style, the drama, the everything you could think of. That plus went our on. own memories. Plus <laughs> a, especially our own memories of Warp Tour and the pop punk scene and all of the music that went into creating this phenomenon. And one of our favorite things that we get to do is we dedicate an episode a Mm month-ish to a year of the tour to look back at what was happening, first of all, just in the world, and second of all, what was happening on tour? Who played? How many stages? What were some interesting, like, additions maybe to that year or things that weren't in that year? Right. Uh, So if you didn't, if you missed last week's episode, you should go back and listen to that. Uh, We talked about our favorite... Well, favorites a stretch on some of those. For Zoe. <laughs> we talked about some influential and uh, iconic songs. I picked my favorites. Zoe Loki punished us, but it was all in the name of education. I had to. <laughs> they headlined. Yeah, you're right. Um, so we, we talked about some great songs from 19, uh, 1997, specifically to get y'all revved up into talking about... 1997's year at Vans Warped Tour. And without further ado, I'm going to let Rachel take the stage on this. Yeah. So I did the research this month. <laughs> we swap off. So if you didn't listen to um, our first history episode, which is always so graciously covered, we did 95 and 96 in one episode because that was the beginning of Warped. And there was just, um, there was a lot to talk about, but we wanted to combine those two years because Vans came on as a sponsor in 96 and 95 was the first year, correct? Yes, 95 yeah. was first year. Mm-hmm. So they really came into their own, and we wanted to like lump those together. This this episode, we're just talking about 97. I think there's a lot to cover here. Warped was in its third year. They had a lot more going on. There was a lot going on in the world. Mm-hmm. And it really was starting to come into its own in a way that foreshadowed its complete international success. Mm-hmm. And um, now we're here in 2019. It's going to be the 25th anniversary. So it was really fun, and I got way too into it, and I did way too deep of a dive, but I had a great time, so we're going to get into it. Um, Real quick, too, shout us out on our social media. Hit us up with some of your favorite 97 memories, some 97 stuff that maybe we didn't cover. We'd love to start a conversation with you guys. We're on Instagram and Twitter at A Warped to Remember. We're on Facebook and, believe it or not, MySpace. (laughs) And um, on Twitter, did I say Twitter already? Mm -hmm. Oh, on Twitter, we're Warped two number two remember you can google us it's not hard but anyway we're on all those all those things and we'd love to strike up a combo about this and really get some intellectual stimulation going so we're not just talking to each other even though i do love to talk to zoe yeah so um i'm gonna give you some context we're gonna lay out what's happening in the world painting a picture for you as zoe so beautifully set the scene for us last month so 1997, the average cost of a gallon of gas was $1.22. Oh my god. $1.22. And I'm sure they were like, that's so high. What made me really offended too was the average cost of a movie ticket, four twenty-two. Oh, I remember that. I pay Arclight $18. Yeah. I remember when movie tickets were like less than five yeah. bucks. I mean, and with inflation, that was like pretty steep, but still. So just an FYI, that's where we were economically. Um... <laughs> Politically, there was a lot going on um, in America and abroad. 
Uh, for reference, I'm from California. Zoe is from Missouri. Missouri. So we're U.S. pop punk kids, but I we always try to turn it to, especially the U.K., um, and just kind of show you what was going on in the world at large. A lot of the bands that we pick and a lot of the songs that we pick are not just from U.S. bands mm-hmm. as well. So wanted to cover that. So Bill Clinton is the president of the United States. His second term began in 1997. Madeleine Albright became the first female secretary of state Ooh, in U.S. history, yeah. which is great. And then across the pond, Tony Blair became the prime minister of the UK. In 97. Yeah. And that was the first time the Labour Party was in power in 18 years. Wow. Yeah. The Labour Party got back into power after 18 years right. of not. Damn. And at the same time, the Scotland referendum was happening. Mm. So Scotland voted to create its own parliament after 290 years of union with England. There we go. So really huge. And I think if you listen to our episode from last week, we talked a little bit about a UK band that we really like. I'm not going to spoil it. You got to listen to it. <laughs> We'll reference it later, but whatever. <laughs> Let's pretend to be mysterious. Um, also, really intense when I was doing the research for this, um, there were countless, literally countless people killed in Algeria at this time, which is crazy. Oh, yeah. um, potentially tens of thousands of people were killed in Algeria massacres that went on all year. This was during the Algerian Civil War that began in 1991, but 1997 was the peak of those massacres. God. So that was going on in the world at the same time, and I don't know how aware U.S. pop-punk teens were but politically, it was really it was a really dark time and uh, really had a ripple effect on other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, the handover of Hong Kong also happened in 1997. Mm. So Hong Kong was no longer a British territory. It returned to the People's Republic of China. And that was what um, historically people commonly refer to as the end of the British Empire. Interesting. Yeah, Ooh. which is really interesting. May, like, but that's so incredible like the longevity of yeah. the British Empire that it went all the way to the like late 90s. Yeah. Uh, so the most would mark that as the official end of the British Empire and the Russian Chechen peace treaty is signed in 1997 as well. So there's a lot going on all around the world, a lot of political unrest but a lot of peace resolution being struck happening at the same too. time. It's yeah. very interesting time. The Heaven's Gate cult in San Diego. <sighs> 39 members committed mass suicide in 1997. And I think that's very pertinent to our purposes because we constantly are talking about how fans was founded in San Diego. Uh, Warp tour was a lot of SoCal bands. A lot of pop punk is about being in California, specifically about being in Southern California. Um, and meanwhile, this mass suicide happened at so close to home, which is crazy. Um, Worldwide, Princess Diana died in a car accident in France. Over 2 billion people worldwide watched her funeral on television. I believe it. Her funeral at Westminster Abbey was televised. And over 2 billion. Yeah. So that really affected the entire globe. I remember specifically where I was when that happened. Wow. I was, I would have been six. And my mom and my dad and I were at our cabin. And we, it was just one morning and we're listening to the radio and I wasn't really paying attention to the radio and my mom all of a sudden just like shouts like let's go of this like exclamation and starts crying and I was like what just happened and she was like princess die died and it was just this like moment it was like the first moment as a as a child that I was like oh mm-hmm. like this is a big this is a moment in history it was one of those things of like I will remember this for the rest yeah. of my life. That was me um, in 9-11, because I was six when 9-11, when 9/11 mm-hmm. happened. Uh, I'm young as shit. Sorry, guys. But, um, yeah, I had a similar moment of, like, whoa, the, there's, like, weight to this mm-hmm. in a way that I couldn't process this will Princess change. Diana because I was a baby. Sure, but. exactly. But, like, this, yeah, you can see that, like, this is an, an event that will change the yeah. rest of history. Sorry to just keep bringing the room down. There was just so much death happening in 1997. Um, There were deadly tornadoes in the U.S. that made headlines worldwide. A bunch of major deadly property damaging natural disasters were happening worldwide, not just tornadoes. Um, There were major floods in Central Europe and in the U.S. as well. Um, And there were a gajillion deadly plane crashes. Every time I like pulled open a new Wikipedia page, it'd be like, this plane crashed, this plane crashed, this plane crashed. I'm like, what? There's so many deadly plane crashes that I could not keep track while researching. And there was a massive deadly train crash in China as well. Oh, I remember that. So travel, I mean, in a pre-9-11 world, this was as close as we got to, like, travel paranoia and travel anxiety. Um, And the Oklahoma City bomber was convicted and sentenced to death in 1997, which shook the world, I think, a lot, especially shook the U.S. 
um, to have someone brought to justice, but then to have the death sentence, I think was very polarizing. Mm -hmm. So that's really interesting as well. Economically, there was an Asian economic crisis that had a huge ripple effect on the world. Stock markets around the world crashed because of the global economic crisis scare. It was in response to a 554.26 point freefall. Wow. So wow. November 24th of 1997, this like over 500 point freefall happened. And the New York Stock Exchange had to invoke a circuit breaker rule, put a halt to all trading, Holy so like shit. the world wouldn't end. Oh my god! Yeah, and this was pre Y two K. Yeah, this explains so much now because when I was a kid and Y two K was like the Y two K was happening, I was so little, I like couldn't fully process it. Right. But um, I now get why everyone was so fucking freaked out because we had a big economic scare in ninety seven. Wow. And I mean, tech was so new, and a lot of people were mistrusting of it because people didn't understand like personal computers and the internet and shit. Um. So I get I get it so much more now. I like had to check my privilege because I was a dumb child and did not know what was wow. happening. But um, well, I'm not dumb child. I mean, I was like, <laughs> like two. two. I can't. Yeah. Um, you weren't an economics major at two. How <laughs> dare you? Um, and then in tech and science, a lot of really cool shit happened too. And I just wanted to get nerdy and bring it up because I think it's interesting. I'm sorry this doesn't totally pertain, but I think it does in a way because NASA's Pathfinder landed on Mars. And successfully completed its mission. Cool. Microsoft became the world's most valuable company. It was valued at two hundred and sixty-one billion dollars. God, and this is at a time when gas cost a dollar. So that's huge. Wow. That's huge now, but that's it was huge then. The Bill Clinton banned federal funding on the research of human cloning because cloning was huge because Dolly the sheep is successfully cloned in Scotland. Uh. And the first genetically modified three-parent baby was born in nineteen ninety-seven. Interesting. Which is very interesting. Um, IBM's Deep Blue Computer defeated a world chess champion during the last game of the rematch. Oh. So there was a lot of like, this was, you can feel us it building to towards Y2K. Yeah. There was an inherent underlying paranoia to everything with all of this like rapid progression. This tech that's like learning off of yeah. you, like it spends like a couple days with yeah. you and it all of a sudden can meet you in chess. Yeah. And yeah. then the Toyota Prius actually Get debuted out. in Japan in, in 1997. Oh, It's wow. the first hybrid vehicle to go into full production. It was unveiled in Japan and it was available in the US in 2000. So we didn't get until a little later, but I didn't realize that it was that prolific that early. I didn't know the US got it in 2000. Yeah. Very impressive. So that's yeah. just cool and interesting. So then pop culturally, even more was happening. And I think yeah. there's a little more of a direct kind of feed into our purposes, into Warped Tour and into music. But the 69th, LOL, the 69th <laughs> Annual Academy Awards was hosted by Billy Crystal. And the English Patient, in my opinion, wrongly won Best Picture. <laughs> Why? It's so bad. Really? It's horrible. There's, did you ever see that Seinfeld episode about it? There's no. a whole Seinfeld episode about how like everyone loves the English Patient except the main characters of Seinfeld. And they're like, it's horrible. Who likes it? I don't understand. So the English <laughs> Patient won Best Picture. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, the first yeah. Harry Potter book, was published in London. Excellent. Um, the Lion King musical debuted on Broadway. Julie Taymor. I love Julie Taymor. I love Across the Universe show. Mm-hmm. Um, NBC housed the top four highest rated shows on television. <sighs> NBC's glory days. Yeah. And I, I mean, 22 years ago. I'm a little biased. I currently work on an NBC show, but um, <laughs> they crushed it. The four highest rated shows in TV were on NBC. It was Seinfeld, Seinfeld. ER, uh, Veronica's Closet, Get and out. Friends. Veronica's Closet was, re- Friends was ranked fourth. Oh. Isn't that crazy? God. <laughs> yeah. And I forgot about Veronica's Closet. I would I, love if you yeah. could clip out the theme song because the theme song is wild. And then Titanic, the uh, same year, became the highest grossing film of all time. Yeah. It was eventually eclipsed by Avatar um, in later years, but Titanic at this moment was the highest grossing film in all of history. And I'm really worried James Cameron doesn't have enough money, you know? Like, I'm thank God right. Avatar eclipsed right. it. I was really worried. And then I have a couple fun facts to round us out before we get into the music. Nice. Thank you for your patience, listeners. I hope you're interested because I was riveted by all of this. A couple fun facts. The Pegasus rocket carried the remains of 24 people into Earth's orbit, which is the first space burial. 
They did that again for TEDx, or not TEDx, sorry, SpaceX did that again. It's fascinating. That's so odd. But 1997 was the first time they did that. Wow. The first color photograph appeared on the cover of the New York Times. So progress, I guess, but that seems really late. 1997, the New York Times hadn't had colored photos yet? Correct. Wow. Yeah. Um, And then, (laughs) final fun fact, Jake Paul and Kylie Jenner were born. Oh my God. (laughs) Jesus, there was somebody messed up when some time traveler messed yeah. up, and we ended up with Jake Paul and Somewhere Shane Dawson is like applying a lip kit and like yeah. quaking. <laughs> but anyway, so just a picture of the year. That's what was going on there. I mean, a lot of uh, political unrest, but a lot of political progression. Mm-hmm. So much going on economically. So much going on in terms of natural disasters and uh, travel disasters, which is yeah, crazy. And then can't forget Heaven's Gate. I mean. To have something so crazy happen in the backyard of the pop punk movement, whether or not the bands knew, like that that was impacting that, I feel like it had a ripple effect. Yeah. I feel like it kind of led into a lot more. It wasn't the like easy breezy San Diego vibes that it used to be because right. something so tragic happened so close. Right. But I think it also directly feeds into a lot of punk and a lot of pop punk because of the whole like don't be a sheep, like don't like question authority, question society, right? Don't don't drink the Kool-Aid, you know? I mean, other cult, but you get my reference. So in music history, there was also so much happening. The 1998 award show, the Grammys, um, honored 1997's best music. So I'm covering the 1998 award show for our purposes Mm -hmm. because that's the music that was big at this time. But then the Grammys were insane that year. There was like so much drama, which I didn't know. Um, This rando dude with the words soy bomb written on his stomach, like crashed Bob Dylan's performance Why? and had to like, <laughs> what did he Bob like Dylan rushed to the stage. Also soy bomb, bomb, I don't understand. Did Bob Dylan accidentally like drop a bottle of soy sauce on this guy I and he was like, no. don't understand. He <laughs> ate a lot of soy and he was like really <laughs> self-conscious. <laughs> Right, he's he allergic. Was like, I'm gonna go. Yeah, he's like, I'm gonna go streak at the Bob Dylan performance, but like, I'm not really feeling myself today, so I just have to like right. let everybody know why. That's why I'm bloated. Yeah, why I'm bloated, but like not against Bob. And like. I mean, this is imperfect because I went off the Grammys official website, but their website's kind of questionable. <laughs> God. <laughs> but allegedly that happened, and then infamously, mm. old dirty bastard of the Wu Tang Clan rushed the stage during the song of the year award so this was like pre-kanye and t-swift like eat a dick kanye eat your heart out because old dirty bastard did it first but um sean colvin won for sunny came home for song of the year and old dirty bastard rushed the stage and infamously said that wu-tang clan is quote for the children which was very interesting (laughs) yeah it was just a really batshit year for like the actual award show which was in idea sorry but i feel like it's worth talking about Two people wrestling the stage yeah. for reasons. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think it ties into, there was so much unrest. Right. I, just no one knew what was going on. There was right. just cracks. It was it's crazy. Like, like we have this beautiful, yeah, cracks in the idyllic, veneer. yeah, and all of a sudden we're getting these cracks. Well, and it's so interesting that this happened at the Grammys, especially because so many of the successful songs were more poppy, more palatable. Hanson was nominated for Mbop. Yeah. Um, Sean Colvin won for Sending Him Home, which is like a very like pleasant kind of thing but then yeah we had Wu-Tang Clan was there Bob Dylan was there there was a lot of shit happening Mm -hmm. and um it was just bonkers and then I mentioned in the last episode but Katrina and the Waves won the Eurovision Song Contest for the UK with the song Love Shine a Light which is in my opinion quite possibly the cheesiest song of all time (laughs) I said in the last episode it makes True Colors by Cyndi Lauper feel hard Love Shine a Light in every corner of my heart let the love light carry let the love light carry light up the magic in every little part let our love shine light in every corner of my heart and then kind of back to tragedy um Tupac died in September of 1996, so I think people were still reeling from that, but mm-hmm. the Notorious B.I.G. died in March of 97. Wow. 
he was shot four times and he was pronounced dead at Cedar sinai hospital like, like down the street right out there yeah yeah so again another socal tragedy and whether or not it was directly internalized i think it was indirectly internalized by a lot of these bands in this in this era because yeah. there was so much prolific gang violence in la especially in socal especially and to have this violence culminate into rising stars two legends being killed within a couple months of each other really i think shook shook the world yeah and it meant a lot in the music industry i mean yeah. people were literally dying over music yeah. so there was a kind of empowerment to it in a lot of ways but there was an inherent um paranoia again paranoia like we're just we're we're getting we're building up to y2k in a big way like, i also wanted to bring up the big thing because um i said socal was heavily influenced and affected by the lives and deaths of rap and hip-hop legends mm -hmm. it's unclear how much of a direct impact it had on pop punk but you know limp biscuit was playing this year eminem was going to play in coming years like rap was included in warped but it also i wanted to bring it up because i think this feeds into the whiteness of warped mm, okay. this these gang gang violence and these murders overtook the rap game while like white dudes were like rapping about going to the beach at Warped Tour at the same time. <laughs> right. You know, and you know, like 311 and Limp Biscuit are like doing Warped while Crips and Bloods are killing each other. Right. Um, and I don't think it was ever directly referenced in that scene. And I think it should have been more directly acknowledged, but also like, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? And right. the whole point of Warped Tour is it's supposed to be pop punk summer camp. It's supposed to be an escape. Right. So it's, it's, it's hard to make peace with those things happening at the same time. I think it definitely feeds into 97 is very much for me. It's like the end of grunge, the intro to alternative in the mainstream. And it's very much the intro into we're building up into the emo movement mm -hmm. because we're being more aware of our emotions. We're mm -hmm. dealing with traumas on an international scale. Yeah. And it's brightest. And now we have, we're going to have more facts about those traumas on an international scale and really understand the plight of so many more people yeah. internationally because of the internet. Yeah. And the spread of information. Yeah. yeah. All of these tech things just completely build up yeah. into like it is that we live in the future, you know? Right. And I think that had a huge impact on everyone, not just the pop punk scene. And even, uh, even though I think the key demo of warped are a lot of like suburban kids who weren't aware of this, mm -hmm. there was still an unrest. Yeah. And there was still attention, and I think especially in the like traditional pop punk sense of like mom and dad don't understand. Right. Well, mom and dad were fucking traumatized by all this shit going on. Yeah. Well, and, and think, a lot of their kids yeah. weren't aware. <laughs> and I'm sure that like people maybe as like you're saying like all of these tragedies that happen in Southern California with these Southern California bands are all of a sudden like facing that frustration of why aren't the people in power really going on and, and stopping this or changing right. this? Like that frustration of like why isn't it? Why is nothing being accomplished? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And then we mentioned a little bit in the last episode too, but I think that's part of why Bubblegum Pop really rose so quickly. This was very much the era of the boy band and also the era of the girl band because Spice Girls rose to fame pretty instantaneously. Yep. But yeah, I didn't realize this until I was doing the research, but um, the Spice Girls began in 94. Yeah. NSYNC began in 95. God, yeah. Which is wild. I didn't realize NSYNC was after them. And the Backstreet led the game. Backstreet Boys began in 93. And then there was a very distinct ripple effect. Spice Girls yes. following, NSYNC following, and then we have Hanson in 97. So I think because of this pretty crazy world and all of this underlying stress and paranoia, it created a new space for this like safe, fun, poppy goodness. Mm -hmm. While it also created space for the like super angry traditional punk yes. of Warped. Yeah. So with that, we'll finally get into Warped. Uh, so I said it's the third year of Vans Warped Tour in 1997. This, um, we expanded quite a bit. This was a 26-date tour. Um, it began in San Diego, the home of Vans. Yeah. And it ended in Atlanta, Georgia. Wow, okay. So they really spanned the country. Mm -hmm. um, it ran from July 2nd to August 5th of 1997. Wow. So a decent run. And 26 stops, it's pretty crazy, especially... I think they had more at their fingertips because of the the they've had a full year of Vans sponsorship right. and I think the word of mouth was so positive with the yeah. original two years of Warp Tour um, and a lot more commercialization mm -hmm. direct commercialization kind of came in with this but I'll get to that in a minute um, there were two Canadian stops this year which is great um, and the they stopped at a bunch of states. Um, but the rest of the states had one stop each. There was a big emphasis on California and Florida. 
Interesting. California had three stops, but Florida had four, which is pretty crazy. Florida's not that huge. Consider like it was pretty wild. Four Florida stops. Wow. Yeah. Um, so big emphasis on the coasts. I think that we're not crazy when we constantly talk about how we want to be at the beach when we listen to pop punk. (laughs) Um, very coastal, Mm -hmm. but bi-coastal, which I love. So the summer beach vibes are underscored by these, by, you know, the heavy California and Florida stuff. And it perpetuates this warped tour summer camp, pop punk summer camp, SoCal influence that is so prolific and carries through Warped Tour to this day. Um, And so headliners of note, which we talked about in the last episode a little bit, but uh, Blink-182, Mind Made Wildstones, Pennywise, and Social Distortion were some of the headliners. Uh, We also had the Aquabats, Descendants, Bouncing Souls, Face to Face, and it was a huge year for Ska. We had Less Than Jake, Real Big Fish. Um, we stole a little bit of the rap influence with Limb Biscuit. We also had Sick of It All and the Get Up Kids, which, you know, very much leading into what would become emo. Right. And the offspring was there. Yeah. Fucking rad. Good for them. <laughs> Love the offspring. Um, and I mean, I already listed this, but most notably, these are bands who would go on to become huge pop punk staples. Mm-hmm. I mean, Blink, obviously, but Pennywise was there. MXPX was there. The Ghetto Kids mm-hmm. were there. Less Than Jake, the Aquabats, bands that kept playing Warped for many years that were very... There was a lot of uh, self-referential moments within mm-hmm. pop punk. I think there still is. And these are some of the bands that really became heavy hitters and that really influenced the next generation of the music that I grew up on. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of more traditional punk-influenced bands as well. Mm-hmm. And Social Distortion was a big standout in terms of just being like a legit rock band. Um, and in later years, I would say that they shifted more to a hardcore presence. Mm-hmm. Whereas this year, it was a big ska presence and a big traditional punk presence. Mm-hmm. And then in later years, we got more into like a hardcore and a little bit more of a like an electronic moment, but we'll yeah. get to that way later. Right. But I think they kind of shuffle. I think each year kind of shuffles around with the in terms of what's in the forefront of influence. There's always a little bit of everything at work. I think that's part of why we love it. But um, definitely a heavy sky year yeah. for sure. That's so interesting. I want because. Like, why did they think, okay, let's go down the ska route? Did they think ska was going to have a bigger presence in mainstream than it ended up? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, so some of the, some of the other ska bands, I don't know if I listed all of these, but um, Voodoo Glow Skulls were there as well. Hepcat was there. I think I said Real Big Fish. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it was just a big, I think the 90s were a big moment for ska. Mm-hmm. And um, we had that weird little like swing resurgence. And I think yeah. ska lent itself well to the people who were kind of into that, could kind of transition into more of a, a ska kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think too, just being like a coastal kind of summery tour, it right. lent itself well to having a lot of ska. I think a lot of people wanted to like go out, dance around, skank to some ska shit. And then I said the Get Up Kids played. They're very much the direct precursor to emo. They were borderline emo at this point in time. And we're still rocking the Uncommon Choices. There were some rap and hip-hop influences. You know, Limp Bizkit's still there. And um, eventually we'll get to it, but Eminem did play Warped Tour once, which is crazy. Uh, Wikipedia said that he played this year, but then I did a deeper dive, and it looks like he only played 99. So we'll get to that. But (laughs) wild. But at the end of the day, you know... There was a heavy support of smaller local acts under this larger corporate umbrella. Mm -hmm. So we talk a lot about the paradox of pop punk, popular and punk. There's this mainstream commercial availability to it, but there's also this DIY individual us versus them kind of vibe at the same time. And I think 1997 is the perfect example of this. 1997 marks the first year of Ernie Ball's sponsorship of the Locals Only stage. Right. And apparently ASCAP did too. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. So um, 
I mean, feel free to explain that, but essentially ASCAP is um, how music royalties are done. Yeah. It's like a big music yep. corporation thing. Pretty much. Yep. Do you have anything to <laughs> no, add to that not as really. a music person? ASCAP stands for American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers. So they regulate, uh, it's a nonprofit uh, group, but they regulate basically performance rights mm-hmm. um, for for copyright uh, material, which I appreciate, which makes sense actually that they would team up with Ernie Ball. Mm-hmm. The, the Ernie Ball uh, locals only stage would continue for almost the entirety of Warped Tour. Yeah. I think, I don't know how. Yeah, I'll get to it in a sec, but yeah. Great. So, I mean, Ernie Ball, we had like the Battle of the Bands and yeah. which makes sense so that that ASCAP would be included because you had these um, these new local bands, and right. I bet by '97, uh, talent agents, yep. managers, are gonna gonna, that. yeah, exactly, are going to start coming out and watching people, and so yeah. having ASCAP kind of be included to start to show people like there's an a, air of legitimacy to it, yeah, exactly, and especially now that technology is like kind of in the yeah. back of everybody's mind of like oh, do I need to, like, make sure that my shit is safe? And like, Yeah, this was very much, like, pre in a pre-Napster world when things right. were simpler. When Yeah, when it was simpler, like, how do we make sure that you are protected when you're yeah. performing um, for local bands? So I think they're, like, Warped Tour, I, in a way, I think, was always out to really teach these other, these younger bands, these bands that maybe hadn't toured yeah. too much of, like, how do you keep yourself safe when you're on tour, like your music and how do you insulate yourself as a young band? Exactly. With your intellectual property. Right. Exactly. So that's really, especially in a self-referential time where I feel like people yeah. are ripping off people a lot. A hundred percent. Well, cause we've already talked about many times of like how it, it can't, you know, the scene, I think people really, uh, the flattery, you know, the flattery is the, or the, sorry, imitation is the best form of flattery kind of right. thing. This scene definitely pulls a lot of that. So yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, so tell us more about Ernie Ball. I'm yeah, curious. so for those of you who don't know, um, Ernie Ball is one of the leading manufacturers of guitar strings and accessories in the world. They're very famous. They've been around since the 50s. Um, pretty much every musician you've ever liked mm-hmm. has used something from Ernie Ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, I mean, it added an extra air of legitimacy to everything because Ernie Ball, leading manufacturer of tech, yeah. and ASCAP, responsible for music royalties. I mean, the industry right. is so hinged on both of them. So 1997 was the very first year of Ernie Ball's Battle of the Bands at Warp Tour. Mm-hmm. They had 18 Battle of the Bands stops within this circuit. Nice. So most of the tour yeah. um, included a Battle of the Bands. And Ernie Ball continues a prosperous relationship with Warped to this day. They're gotcha. sponsoring the 25th anniversary tour this year. That's great. They've, as far as I know, they've been a sponsor every year. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they're prolific. I mean, we mentioned... Um, I mentioned Rock Band in the last episode because that's how I initially... It was just cool to have, like, Bikini Kill be on that. But Ernie Ball is, like, huge in Guitar Hero and Rock Band. Like, they're yeah. very name-dropped in a lot of stuff. And I feel like Ernie Ball has been really cool about um, being involved in new media and being involved in alternative media. Mm-hmm. They were really quick to jump on Warped, which was very smart on their end. And they were really quick to jump on this rando video game thing. And I think they became a household name with yeah. non-musicians as mm-hmm. well, which is just so smart. Yeah. Um... Which, again, I mean, you know, I wonder if they took a look at what Vans did. You know, Vans, right. Vans were the people that originally took the chance on Kevin Lyman and this thing. Well, I have a wild, a couple wild facts Excellent. I'm so excited. Okay. Keep going. So, originally, when they were shopping around for sponsors, yeah. uh, Kevin Lyman turned down Calvin Klein as a sponsor <gasps> and went with Vans. But thank God. Could you imagine? No. Uh, because, okay, because, like, yeah. last history episode, we talked about the Airwalk yeah. would have been sponsorship, which would have been Skechers Coachella, which we're working on, lol. But also, Calvin Klein? Yeah. Could you imagine? No. Well, and at the time, I been, mean, if you think about, like... you Coachella, Coachella. You're looking very shame today. Like, if yeah. you think about... Calvin Klein has had some, like, edgier ads in the past, and yeah. especially in the heroin chic era of the late 90s. True. They were a lot edgier. Um, I just could not fathom that. No. I could not fathom First of all, dudes wearing, so like, clean. Atticus t-shirts yeah. and dudes wearing Calvin Klein in the same room. That's yeah. weird. Um, wilder fact for you that I discovered on accident... Uh, Lyman worked with CAA, with the Creative Arts yeah, Agency, yeah. when he started right. Warped. Mm-hmm. And so they were very much in with the industry, in with yeah. agencies yeah. trying to legitimize this. Yeah. And so much of what makes pop punk possible and so much of what made and continues to make Warped so powerful is its marrying of this corporate, mainstream, profitable venture, marrying that with the DIY local homegrown element and spirit of punk. 
Ernie Ball fans, ASCAP working together to make a profit while promoting and helping up and coming bands grow organically and build a community and provide a safe space for that. Well, safe to an extent, safe space for them um, is amazing. I mean, it's truly the definition of pop punk. Yeah. There is a punk spirit there, but it needed to grow with the help of these larger corporations. And now I would, I mean, I would argue now, now meaning 1997, it was more of a quote-unquote scene than ever. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that in once we get more into the 2000s. But I mean, like, the scene kid revolution and just the self-referential, the scene. Everyone's talking about the scene. Mm-hmm. And it's more of a scene than ever because Warped went to so many towns, big and small. Rock and roll is no longer confined to dive bars and over 21 venues in big cities. It's now for everyone. And yeah. it's now for really young people right. in a way that it wasn't before. And the pop punk summer camp idea just like thrives with the means of big business and also with the spirit and the promotion of homegrown values. So it's such an interesting paradox, but it works so well. Yeah. It lends itself so well. Um, and I think that's partially why they got some radio wave heavy hitters um, in 1997. Weezer did a stop. The Offspring did a stop. They each played one date respectively, so they didn't do a whole lot. But to get them was pretty huge. This was after... Um, Weezer's like mass success. Yeah. Um, they were already really famous and really deeply on the radio waves, as was the offspring. So to get them to play even one date, I think is pretty huge. Yeah. And then we talked about it in the last episode, but fucking Sugar Ray played almost all of the July dates. They didn't just do like a stop. They played like a straight month of work tour. That's crazy. Yeah. I just insane. So even with this radio wave presence, I think Warp, Warped still remained the antithesis of mainstream music of the era. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about this already. 1997 marked a significant shift, shift from grunge's popularity into this renaissance of punk-inspired multi-genre rock, and that would eventually become alternative, like the, you know, the genre alternative. But it also offered suburban kids an alternative to the bubblegum pop on the radio, I mean, we talked about it. Hanson blew up. Spice Girls and Sank Backstreet were all happening. And we had an alternative option. And it was a more distortion-driven, angsty music mm-hmm. that was hitting the mainstream at the same time. And I think Warped provided a great outlet for that. Because also on the radio waves at the same time, we had some really prolific distortion-driven music. Smashing Pumpkins, Nine Inch Nails, Radiohead, and the Foo Fighters. They're all mainstream successes at this point. So we had like an even more DIY, even more punk. Because I think one could argue, and I think many argued at the time, that those bands that I listed, Smash Pumpkins and Nationals, they're sellouts. You know, Radiohead, sellouts. Right. Yeah. And so this was like... Prolific. It was weirdly... Sellouts. They were weirdly all selling out and yet all remaining true to themselves because right. Warped is an interesting beast. It's not one thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, before we dive into the compilation, like, what are your vibes? What are you feeling as I talk your ear off? No, it's amazing. I think, um, again, we're seeing this really exponential growth with Warp Tour that will level out eventually. But yeah, the fact that, you know, we have um, the main stage, the side stage, and now the locals only stage. Mm-hmm. So now we've added our third stage to the mix, which again, I just, it's that's such a stroke of genius. Whoever thought of that, Kevin Lyman yeah. or somebody on his team, whoever said, you know, what we should do, we should get these kids that are already playing in their own bands to come on out. Well, to compete, number one, because the Battle of the yeah. Bands was its own thing. And then when you won, you got to perform at Warped. Exactly. So, like, having that big moment um, and then having this foresight to think, okay, well, you know, we're going to... It's a really... To me, it's really respectful of his audience, knowing that so many kids that are going to go to Warped are music kids themselves. Yeah. They play in their own bands. You know, they appreciate the music because you know, they know how much work goes into it. Mm -hmm. And so then to have management opportunities and to have people who know the scene really out there trying to mentor kids, at least I hope, I mean like, yeah, who knows? I'm sure there's a lot of horror stories in addition to all the success stories. I'm sure there were bands that could have, would have, should have, that got dicked over by an agent or something like that, that were at Warped that just couldn't blossom. Yeah. But there are so many success stories Mm -hmm. that come out of this and it created word of mouth in a way um, I'm about to get to it, but we'll talk about the Warped compilations, which yeah. were huge promotional tools. Yeah. And it created a community for these bands to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we just talked about... Yeah, I last, mean, Blink-182 yeah. and the Aquabats toured together, and that's how Travis Barker ended up in the band. Right. 
Um, and that's not necessarily a warped specific thing, but like all of these bands were meeting each other and interacting with each other. I think it's huge too when we get into the mid 2000s, like, you know, Pete Wentz helping out Panic at the Disco. And Fueled by Ramen, the Pete whole Wentz, label. Yeah, yeah, Pete Wentz helping out Cobra Starship and then Cobra Starship helping out other people. Like, there's a way of paying it forward. Yes. For every like pop punk beef, there are like 10 healthy, yeah, like beautiful yeah. collaborations. I think people realize that the scene itself couldn't survive without everybody pitching in. Right. Which again, really lends itself to this tour of the fact that like you showed up, you grilled for each other. You put up the stage for each other. Like you, you did the work, you did the legwork. Someone's dog pissed on all the (laughs) bodies. Exactly. (laughs) You know, so you did all that legwork for all together, which I, again, I'm just, I don't see in a lot of other genres of music, that kind of same. Yeah. I don't see the camaraderie camaraderie anywhere else. Yeah. And maybe that's just me because I am a pop punk kid, right. but I, I mean, and I'm sure in rock and roll, there's a certain extent. Sure. I mean, and you could go back into like, I mean, watch almost famous. It's fictional, yeah. but you know, it's that vibe. Yeah. Like all these bands were touring together. They knew each other. They went to the same parties. They stayed at the same hotels, but I think warped created a safer space for newer people, younger people, mm-hmm. not literally so much as like they were just young in the industry. Right. And I think it saved as many people as it fucked over. I'm yeah. sure. Um, but that brings me to the Warped compilation, which is how I really found a lot of my favorite bands growing up. So 1997's compilation was distributed by Epitaph Records mm-hmm. for the first time. And they didn't really distribute many more after that, I don't think. Uh, this is def- this was a standout. It was specific that Epitaph did 97 because they didn't do the other years. Um, and the compilations varied in name for a while and were distributed by different labels. So, Interesting. Um, yeah. So part of what's really interesting is Epitaph handled this whole thing not as a Warped Tour compilation but they instilled it in a series of albums they were already releasing called Punkorama oh did you ever have Punkorama albums maybe I heard of them I, don't I was I delighted to find this out while I was researching because I would dig and I mean dig for hours in bargain bins at my local record stores shout out to Rasputin in Mountain View <laughs> shout out to Amoeba in San Francisco um but I would dig in these bargain bins and find like for two dollars find these old Punkoramas that were just compilations of angry shit that I could listen to. And I still have a bunch of the CDs at my mom's house. It's crazy. Um, But the Warped compilation for 97 was released as a punkorama. It was not released solely as a compilation. Interesting. As a Warped compilation, yeah. So um, this was called Vance Warped Tour 97 Presents Punkorama 2.1 was the official title. What? So they actually distributed, Epitaph distributed Punkorama Volume 2 right before that. And the track list is largely the same. They shifted a little bit. They shuffled around a little bit and then redistributed it with slightly different album art as the Warped Tour version, Hmm. which is very interesting. And this year also marked um, them uh, lowering the price of Punkorama. I believe it was like six bucks for an album. It had 17 tracks. They were all by different bands. It featured Descendants, Pennywise, Rancid, H2O, Voodoo Glow Skulls, Bad Religion, no effects, down by law, Millen Colin, and dead fucking last, amongst others. So really, a lot of pop punk heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. Um, I said the artwork and track list was slightly modified, but the idea was it was released at a lower price than the first Punkorama to get more kids into the bands that were presented on this compilation. They wanted to distribute it to the masses, which in one way is really great because it's like, oh, you're lowering the price, you're making it accessible. But then it's like, yeah, but you're making it accessible so kids will buy more of your albums. Mm-hmm. So it was a very genius. I mean, I think Warped Tour as a whole is genius yeah. because it supports these people in a really wholesome way while profiting exponentially from it. And um, very notable to mention that Epitaph was founded in 1980 and is owned by the Bad Religion guitarist Brett Gerwitz. And a large portion of the label is owned by Tim Armstrong, who's the front man of Rancid. Right. And Rancid and Bad Religion are featured on this compilation. Yeah, of course. And I actually own... You gotta, like, (laughs) self-promote. Yeah, I actually own Volume 2 specifically because I will never forget the album art. It's this giant, like, ugly-looking monster whose head is shaped like the Epitaph logo, and he's pissing on a wall. He's wearing a kilt, and he's pissing on a wall, and then it says Punkorama on the piss. Not surprised at all. Rock and roll, baby. Yeah, right? (laughs) Um, So they altered the art slightly for the Warped Tour version. Sure. But, um, yeah, so they pushed that. And this is, I mean, like I said, perfect example of pop punk. Punk musicians going legit with real profitable business practices, but at the same time, it's homegrown because it's, like, actual leading men in actual punk bands gathering together to help other punk bands. Right. And then they make a pretty penny off of it at the same time. Um, Pennywise and The Offspring were signed to Epitaph at the same time of this release. So I'm sure behind the scenes, I couldn't find any like concrete evidence, but I'm sure behind the scenes there was a lot of 
which labels get to put which bands on Warped. And, like, I'm sure the Offspring were contractually obligated to play at least one stop. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, And then, just a fun fact, I mean, Epitaph was based in Hollywood at the time, and they actually had to move their office to Silver Lake in the mid-90s because of their immense success. They needed a larger office. Epitaph really took off. Wow. Yeah, and again, in our backyard, SoCal was so prolific in this era and still is. And it just dri- it jives perfectly with the SoCal origins of Warped Tour and the bands that made it. And as far as I can tell, there was pretty minimal drama this year. A couple of years of Warped, they had to kick a couple bands off. There was some inter-band drama. But 97, as far as I can tell, was pretty smooth sailing. I think one of the interesting things, too, about 97 is if you if you just even do a like, quick Google search of Warped Tour 97, mm-hmm. it's one of the first times that you get live uh, recorded footage. Yes. Which mm-hmm. is, you know... People knew that this was historic. People right. knew that well, they'd want this for their archives. And people, I mean, that again, like we've been talking a lot about tech, but like, handheld technology yes. was really as becoming a like the accessibility a, of it all yeah and so people say hey i'm gonna go see this work tour wouldn't be cool if i brought my like you know massive camcorder but exactly. i'm gonna bring it could you and, imagine being in the pit with that fucking oh hair my God, some sure of those videos are someone, from like the front yeah, row and somebody tried you know someone stole their dad's fucking yeah. camera their dad's sony like, and right? popped a vhs yeah. in there and made it happen and now they're on you know now it's on youtube and you can go back and yeah. watch which is you know, Some of Blink 182's earliest performances yes. too, which is so great, so fun to watch. Which is really, again, you know, kind of the nod of exactly like people wanted to wanted to take this down in time and remember it, but then also that kind of foresight of like, it's you know someday we're gonna look back at this and we're gonna you know yeah. it, it will have been a thing. Um, yeah. I mean, I again, I think. It's, you know, I, I think a lot of, I think it's great, again, that the third year they were continuing to look for opportunities to grow. Yeah. Um, I don't think Kevin Lehman ever stopped looking for opportunities to grow the tour. Right. Um, which is really impressive because, you know, a lot of music festivals, I mean, a, a doing music festival is such a huge undertaking. I don't think we'll ever really get over that. And such a multi-stop yeah, tour. Yeah, to do a huge tour like that. Because it's one thing to, like, throw Lollapalooza on a weekend. Right. It's another to do a 26-stop Yeah international technically yeah tour. right um yeah i mean i again i appreciate that the lineup for 97 included um like more kind of multi-genre groups mm-hmm. like bigger names it's still overwhelmingly white but it was really refreshing to have my yeah. boss tones and voodoo glow skulls there yeah having some dudes of color really like have a voice yeah exactly still not really a space for women at all which is unfortunate no. yeah, but exactly. <laughs> yeah baby steps great well thank you for doing all of that work my pleasure. it's so interesting i i'm like i said i'm really it just makes me excited to continue to see how the tour changed and yeah. grew and like what became more of it and yeah and who comes back and plays from this year because i do again I'm, I'm like i the people who played on this year we're starting to get into some of the people that will play many many years in a row yeah. which is exciting yeah um so definitely good things were happening this year mm-hmm. um i'm really excited to attend this yeah. year i mean zoe and i have tickets to the mountain view stop yes. which is my hometown which is where i first went to warp oh my god and um with all of this in mind, with the yeah. humble beginnings in mind, yeah. it's going to be so interesting you know, to see. They're doing like a museum tent, and that's yeah. where I'm going to spend like half of my I want to go so bad. I, so <laughs> I saw the Warped Museum, and yeah. they're bringing back fucking kickflips and shit. There's going to be yes. ramps. It's going to be great. Well, so was there, yeah, was there a big skater scene? I couldn't year? find anything yeah. to indicate one way or the other. I'm assuming there was. Right. I know a couple of the promotional posters that I looked up had like, um, a little bit, a little like addendum advertisement yeah. of like, we're going to do this also. Yeah. But I didn't find nearly as much as you found for the other years. I kind of wonder if they started to realize like Vans was getting, you know, Vans knew that they were going to stick with it because obviously yeah. it was doing a lot for them. Yeah. But I wonder if the logistics of trying to do a skate. Right. 
thing, you know, especially with that many stops. Yeah. I wonder if they thought, okay, we're going to shift gears slightly and look more at the music and bring in the mm-hmm. Ernie Ball stage as like, this is going to be kind of the addendum. Right. And kind of get away from the skating a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I think too, for Vans business purposes, they weren't selling shoes to just skaters anymore. Exactly. Vans became so much more of a commodity. Yeah, exactly. I think Vans and Converse are so fascinating because they're so deeply rooted in music. Yeah. And they're such corporate successes yes. for kids who fuck the mainstream yeah. and say that the mainstream's bullshit, right. but they clearly wear their shoes. Converse yeah. and their Vans every day. Yeah. Um, I definitely did. Yeah. My first Converse had worse uh, goals. Yeah. Yeah. I had a set of brown Converse that I had light blue and yellow rubber ducky laces nice. that I wore during like the peak of my like fall out boy painting the disco mm-hmm. like moment. And then I had crossword puzzle vans that or converse, sorry, crossword puzzle converse nice. that I literally wore holes into for yeah. years. I also had a pair of checkered slip on vans from a very young age. They were hot pink checkered. I wrote weird owl lyrics on them in red pen. Oh man, I love for it. Fun. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well this is awesome. Um super really detailed i appreciate all the work that you did on this i know sorry listeners hope you enjoy no it's great i love knowledge (laughs) so tell us yeah listeners hit us up on our social medias tell us what you thought of what you think of 97 tell us what we missed yeah and tell us your stories i'd love to hear anyone that attended anyone that like ran out to the store to buy that compilation that'd be fabulous or for those of you who aren't really big into warped tell us what you think what are you what are you processing with all this i know a couple of my friends who are so graciously listening to this pod <laughs> are not heavily involved in pop punk. And I'd love to hear those experiences. And yeah. I think a lot of, uh, myself included, yeah. we're listening to a lot of these songs for the first time. And a lot of these bands for the first time. Can you imagine if like Hanson and the Spice Girls and all the boy bands and like Christina Aguilar and all those people like did a warp tour, but like for themselves, be you know, crazy. just like did like a tour. There'd be riots. <laughs> oh my God. I, I don't even know if I can. Do I would that argue that those night. fans are more hardcore than Warped fans. I kind of believe it, right? <laughs> They'll like kill for someone. Yeah, but yeah, this was great. Well, uh, join us next week. We're gonna do another really cool themed episode. Talk about some songs. Pick some of our favorite jams. It's gonna be a really good time. Um, in a couple weeks, we'll hit up 1998, and we'll see what's changed. Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening to A Warped to Remember. Bye. But I didn't Which, realize... hot take, did you hear that Mel B confirmed that her and Jerry Hall, whatever the fuck her last name is... Did they fuck? Yes. <gasps> yeah. I feel so validated. Yeah. I'm glad we could capture this on yeah. tape. <laughs> Holy... <laughs> yes. She did. In in the weirdest Melby. place, Mel B went on an interview with Piers Morgan. Of all... And Mel C was there too. Of all, who knows why? Did Melcy know? Melcy <laughs> did apparently, she seem surprised? Apparently, the article I read was saying that they like panned to Melcy. Melcy was like, "I don't know what the hell's going on, but please don't include me in this right yeah, now." Yeah, I don't want to be a part of this narrative because <laughs> <laughs> Melby's up there being like, "Yeah, Jerry and I definitely like." Wow. Hey. Ooh, where's that biopic? I know.